The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Not my quickest day with the bumper, but welcome back to the Batting Order Beat podcast. I am LJ LaFiero. Alongside me, I have Brandon Karam. We are a Belly Up Sports podcast. We are what they aren't. Brandon, another day, another week, a full week at this point of baseball and another day of baseball, too, to add on to that. How are you doing? LJ, doing good. Hard to believe this is already day six of the MLB season. It is a getaway day for sure. Lots of afternoon games today as teams are heading somewhere else for the weekend, more than likely. Uh, But LJ, you know, we do have quite a bit we're going to talk about today. We're going to run through some injuries, talk about some more uh, standout performances. Of course, we did winners and losers uh, on Monday's show. That was more team focused. Now LJ and I are going to kind of go through some of the more dominant uh, pitching performances that we've seen so far. Uh, We have some other stuff scattered around in here as always as well. But uh, yeah, LJ, do we also want to talk about our live stream for tomorrow night? Yeah, absolutely. We're going to have another live stream here with um, and we're just going to keep tossing surprises at Brandon. What looks like we're going to have another one guest live stream. We are going to have our dear friend from Belly Up Fantasy with us. Kevin Wilson is going to be back joining the show for the first time this year. And we're going to have more and more exciting guests coming on throughout the year. So stick on with us. We're going to be starting at 9.15 Eastern time next week. And I think, or this, the tomorrow for this week, I should tomorrow, say. Tomorrow, yeah. Um, <laughs> Easy now, LJ. I, 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 I would like it to be a next week so I can get out of all this schoolwork that I've been doing. I have to do this week, but uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just wishing time away at this point, which yeah. is not the strat anymore. But um, honestly, it's not the strat after you reach like 16. You're like, time, please slow down. But. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be great to talk to him. We're going to have, again, we've got some really cool stuff lined up in the works for these next coming weeks. So can't wait for you guys to see it. In the meantime, if you have anything to whine about, we are actually going to get to Sipping Sour Grapes next week. I swear this. We're going to go nonsense and then straight into sw- Sipping Sour Grapes on this next live stream. So go ahead and tweet at us any problems, any complaints you have with the current state of baseball or your team or life. And we'll talk about it on this stream. Definitely get that stuff into us. We're looking forward to it, but Brandon, let's get ahead and start on into this show. It's time for our first injury report of the season. Where would you like to start? LJ, I think, uh, you know, I, you know, I could start with a big name, but honestly, I'm going to start with a guy that, um, I was actually surprised and almost like forgot that he was on this team. Uh, you know, Johnny Cueto, LJ. I was hoping uh, this is where you'd start. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Johnny Cueto, who's on the Marlins, uh, he left his debut on Monday. It appears it was some right bicep tightness. He hit the 15-day IL. Uh, and then Joey Wendell, also on the Marlins, uh, our guy, LJ, no, no batting gloves. Uh, one of our favorite players, or at least one of your favorite players here, Joey Wendell. Uh, he's on the 10-day IL with a right 
intercoastal strain. Uh, and I guess one more just because it's in this article. Max Freed, of course, left his opening day start for Atlanta. Uh, looked like something with his hamstring while he was trying to cover first base. He just hit the 15-day IL yesterday, however, retroactive to April 1st. Yeah, I think we can start there. That's probably the one we're going to be least concerned with here. I think we're in agreement on that. I mean, what's the difference here? Yes, you don't have somebody lined up for this upcoming start, but you've got so many guys here. We talked about last week on the live with Matt Arcara about the fact that there is still a lot of depth, even though they have, you know, let pieces go, moved things around in Atlanta. I feel relatively confident in their ability to keep a highly competitive starting rotation going there with the Braves, whether their best pitchers there or not. Yeah. And uh, I think it was uh, Dylan Dodd last night who debuted uh, or made his major league debut for Atlanta and threw five innings of one hit or excuse me, of one run ball. So you're absolutely right there, but yeah, Freed, not much to worry about. Um, you know, you still have the likes of Spencer Strider, Charlie Morton. And, uh, you know, at some point, Matt did mention Mike Soroka to, you know, kind of uh, stay, stay tuned for, for his name uh, as he could be providing a big impact. Uh, and again, if he ever is to come back, it's going to either happen or not. I feel like at this point, like he's either going to start out really, really strong and have a really good April in AAA and then make that jump very quickly, or he's probably never going to find it to be the type of guy you're hoping he's going to be anyways. So, you know, odds are we're going to see exactly what we're going to get out of this new era of Mike Soroka in the coming month. That's the nice part of this the nice part of this long turnaround is the quick turnaround in terms of figuring out what kind of pitcher he's going to be. Um, if we want to stay in division, though, seeing a lot of things about a potential early return for Bryce Harper here. Mm. Obviously, they're getting be- back to Philly this week for a Cincinnati series starting on Thursday. S- opening up with Nick Lodolo, Zach Wheeler. I think that could be a really interesting to watch. But – Bryce Harper here, when he gets back to Philly, already going to start into a bit of a hitting program. It looked like getting some of that motion, some of those options in there. It sounds like this could be a very early return for this surgery, which honestly seems much needed for this Philly roster right now. Yeah, you know, uh, the Phillies did beat the Yankees last night. They pitched excellent. And no, you're absolutely right. Uh, they could certainly use a bat in that lineup, especially one as good as Bryce Harper. Uh, and, you know, obviously the sooner he gets back, the better. So uh, that is certainly good news to see. Um, LJ, I didn't know. I was looking through this this list here. So we have Lars Newbar. He hit the 10-day IL with a little thumb injury, it looks like. Um, And then the only other, like, big one, I mean, we did talk about Joey Bart on Monday. Um, 
would it be a Daniel Bard on the Rockies who he got placed on the IL before opening day? Um, he classified it as anxiety, um, which, you know, obviously is a very serious thing and, uh, you know, good for him for uh, willing to step away. And LJ, you know, he did play in the World Baseball Classic, but when he was out there for team for team a USA, he just didn't really look like the Daniel Bard that we were used to seeing the last few seasons. No, and when you look at the course of his career, so much of his struggle and the fact that he had to leave baseball, you know, I I would assume given given the situation, given everything we know, a big thing that he might be wanting to take back over the years is the fact that he didn't wasn't willing to go get help sooner step away from the game sooner as you know he had terrible issues with the yips and stuff like that and i'm not saying that these things are necessarily connected but those are learning moments and you're seeing him being a lot more proactive on a mental health situation right now which is really really cool to see obviously something was bothering him something was affecting him over these last couple months, last month or so. And so hopefully he gets the help he needs and is able to get back out here stronger and continue to play the game he loves. Was that all you had? Because I do have at least one more that I have a note. Sure. Yeah. Uh, definitely go for it. Also, I, ju- I just looked. Daniel Bard finished 16th in MVP voting in the NL last year. So impactful reliever, to say the least. <laughs> Certainly. Well, you forgot about the big one that's going to have immediate effect and impact today. Kyle Bradish with a foot contusion might be headed to the IL this week, opening up a spot in the rotation that has already been claimed by one Mr. Grayson Rodriguez. Our thought process on him waiting until the service time. Just so wrong. Moment. Just- this so wrong. Like I mean, it, it wasn't wrong. It just got completely uprooted by health issues. Like, obviously, you're gonna put a player that is this capable. You're gonna put him in the lineup as you know, as your next guy up as our injury replacement. It just makes sense. And so, the first sign of trouble here, he comes in. He's gonna get his first start, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it. As a fantasy owner, as a baseball supporter, as an AL East fan who's going to get to see this guy pitch, he looks legit, and hopefully he gets off to a running start. Did I see it's Grayson Rodriguez versus Jacob DeGrom? Is is, is that what the matchup is today? Because uh, that, that, yes, is, is. that is something. That, that will be excellent baseball to be watching. Yeah, and to tie into what we were talking about earlier – this is quite the week for the young versus old type situation here, which maybe today is not the time to have this conversation as we're running a little short on time with this injury segment. But we've got the guys who I see in the next couple of days as, you know, some of the old guard of consistently great pitchers that are still sort of in their prime. And the new young guns in these next couple of days, you've got a Grayson Rodriguez, Jacob DeGrom matchup. You've got, a Zach Wheeler, Nick Lodolo matchup, the guy who's going to end up being the ace for the Cincinnati Reds team. 
I really, you know, these are these are exciting and interesting matchups to see. And I'm sure if we looked farther, we could probably find a bunch more of them right now. But that, I think, unless Brandon has anything else to add, we'll wrap things up. And now up to bat. Tony's going to do some time, Brandon. Tony Rendon has been issued a five-game suspension, which was negotiated down by the Players Association to four games for an altercation with a fan on, I believe it was opening day, correct? Yes, it was on opening day. Um, Basically, he, well, okay, first of all, the way it works at Oakland Coliseum is in order to get back. Well, let's start here. Nothing works at Oakland Coliseum. Nothing works at Oakland Coliseum. But the way that they try to make this work is in order for the players to get back to the clubhouse, now, it's not connected by the dugout is what you have to realize. So you have to, like, come out of the dugout and then walk through the stands, essentially. Like, walking through the grandstands to get back to this tunnel that goes to the clubhouse. So, of course, they're in Oakland. They lose the on opening day after uh, Ryan Tapera comes in and blows the game for the Angels. Uh they're walking through, and some uh, fan, he decides to call Tony Rendon a bitch. And Tony Rendon did not respond uh, very nicely to this. He came, kind of came up and grabbed the fan by the shirt and was saying, you know, there was a lot of expletives included in there. But he was just saying, you know, I heard what you said, like, you know, don't say that. Uh, fan kept arguing with him. Instead of just walking away, Tony then, uh, as he has done uh, quite well in the last few seasons, uh, swung and missed uh, at an attempted punch uh, near this fan's uh, head. And, uh, yeah, all caught on camera by the person standing right next to this guy that um, that was involved in the altercation. And uh, Tony's going to do some some time for it. Uh, it really seems like the, the last few seasons between him either being hurt or being suspended. I remember he got suspended last year for – it might have been – he might have been one of the ones where he was already on the I.L., but then left the bench during like a benches clearing yeah. incident and got suspended for that. I mean, he has done a master class in terms of not playing like games. Well, it's I've got two takes here, to be honest. 105 games in the last two years combined. I mean, it it's almost as if he's trying to not play at this point. First off, I find this to be a fascinating series of events for a guy who has actively and continues to actively say he doesn't really care that much about baseball. Like if you're just here as a job, I'm pretty sure the first thing you're thinking about when you get done with the game is going home. And yet you stop to take the time to argue with a fan because you on game one, game one. It's not like this is like the middle of some crazy playoff, like, race it's It's not even like it's the dog days of summer when you're just tired and just mentally fed up my second thing here is how on earth is this only four games (laughs) like i feel like four games is the 
or five games is the baseline for touching a fan with the PA negotiating to get to five games. In reality, we can talk about it. It probably is closer to like eight games because he did spend quite a bit of time hurt as well here. He's missed two days with a knee contusion um, in that time frame before the suspension. And so honestly, in my head, I have to question whether the Angels were planning on potentially giving him a suspension as well in the, in the throughout investigation. Like, that's kind of what it more signals to me is the fact that after this altercation, he immediately was missing multiple days and then the suspension hits. I have a feeling more than just Major League Baseball was investigating this, and I don't understand how, as a sports organization, as a sports organization, the Angels can effectively, Tony condone this. But I can't even get past that joke. Oh my gosh. Uh, how do they, Tony condone this, but how does major league baseball allow this to happen? This is blatant. Like your fans, the people that are paying money to see this are yes, they're are the aggressor, but they're still being, there's an attempt at an assault, an attempt at an assault by your own employees on the people who are paying for everything here in one way or another, that can't be tolerated. I am shocked that they decided on a five-game suspension and not more for that. This feels like something that has to be cracked down hard on, especially when we've seen a lot more close interactions with fans and players in recent years than we have in ages. Yeah, I don't know how big of a problem I have with the actual, you know, games that he's suspended for but i'm more just interested in you know what is it ever going to get better for anthony rendon especially now that he's 33 you're on this albatross of a contract i mean oh my god it's it's gonna go down as one of the worst contracts in league history no doubt um and you know we barely seen you play since uh you know, post-2021 season where you – or post-2020 season where you were really good. And 2020 – or excuse me, the 2020 season. I was thinking 2019 season, I feel like that whole performance, I still stand by, was incredibly overrated. Like juiced ball or just uh... – Just they desperately needed somebody to be the face of the winter and put everything into Tony Rendon. Oh, yeah. That oh, yeah. Why do you well... – then yeah, it wasn't. He wasn't that good. And then Strasburg got the insane contract too, because because they needed someone to be the face of the uh, pitchers. It's like, look, he just won World Series MVP. We've talked about this a million times. Pete Alonso was the one that brought it up last year in a press conference, right, saying that you know it's it's obvious that why they switched the ball and all that. And we've talked about that before, but no, you know, I just I just want to know like what in a in. 10 years from now, are we going to look back at Anthony Rendon and be like, yeah, he was like an elite player on the Nationals, uh, you know, has quite a few top 10, top 11 MVP finishes. And then he went to the Angels and he just did literally nothing, yet got a $245 million check. Uh, Just going to be interesting to see how it plays out just because for a guy who got such a big contract – um, and what it's like the second or third largest contract in terms of AAV 
for like a left side of the infield or it was it that at that time uh now i'm sure all those shortstop contracts blew it out of the water but still um yeah but it was still the no actually i don't think it has been that bad because what is it currently i, I i'm blanking on it's, the it's 245 over seven years so it's 35 a year yeah no that that is still the that's still the mark that's the measuring stick let's keep this in mind it's crazy. We, we are forgetting the fact that it was just a year ago that Carlos Correa signed a contract that was $35.1 million because he wanted to make more than this guy. That's right. With like, AAV, that's right. Wow. Like, well, let, let's talk about this here. This is still the contract that everyone else is measuring themselves up against when it comes to infielders. Like, it's ruining the infield market, which honestly should be way way better than it is. I, I've this is the Deshaun Watson contract of the MLB. Yeah, I mean, and it's just, it's a shame too, because I've never quite grasped the difference between outfield and infield pay. Like, it feels like these outfielders, the top, top tier outfielder is getting miles more than some of these guys. And I get context of certain situations, but like, you know, we're seeing $40 million contracts or guys being willing to give out $40 million contracts to outfielders when we can barely sniff 35 with guys who probably see more actual difficult plays per game from a defensive standpoint. It, it It's never made sense to me, and this is part of what's holding it back. But speaking of things that might not make sense, now to bat our way too early pitcher performance review – it's our PPR here. PPR. PPR. I'm not sure when we're going to do another PPR, but it's probably still going to be too early to actually be um, reviewing these performances. But, Brandon, why don't you take it away? Do you have any particular guys that you've liked what you've seen so far? Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to start off with a guy that pitched yesterday and made his second start of the year, and that's Julio Urias. Uh, his two starts so far this season, uh, he has gone six innings in both. He allowed two runs on uh, opening day and had six shutout innings last night. Uh, look, I mean, for a guy that's coming off a fantastic season uh, where – I'm pulling up his stats here, but I know that he was certainly uh, – in the Cy Young voting for the National League, I'm just really impressed with with what I've seen. Uh, and uh, really out of the Dodgers, too, because it feels like a lot of people have been down on the Dodgers and just, you know, they're certainly not that first-choice team anymore when you're talking about favorites. But uh, Julio Urias as your ace uh, until Walker Bueller eventually gets back later in the season – uh, is really not a bad thing. And, uh, you know, he could certainly win a Cy Young. He's only 26 years old. He, he he does have the stuff. He has the run support behind him to get some of those more traditional stats, like the win losses. Um, yeah, Julio Urias been uh, pretty, pretty exciting uh, to watch so far. Yeah, I think the one issue that could hold – Julio Urias back into the issue that held him back last year, I felt like was getting all of the traditional stats. It doesn't feel like that should be something we're talking about here, but 
I feel like rather than the counter narrative that, oh, the traditional stats don't matter, it's becoming, oh, the traditional stats are just buoyed by being on a great team. If you have good traditional stats on a mediocre or bad team, it looks way better for you in your case than when you're with a contender and get 25 wins. Like, I mean, his last two years combined, he's 37 and 10. Like, yeah, and again, that's that's great numbers, especially from a 10 standpoint. Like, that's showing you a lot of good stuff. The fact that he's only lost 10 games, you said three years or two years? Last two years. Last combined. two years combined. But at the same time, people look at it and they're like, okay, but it's the Dodgers. Like, this team's probably just propping him up. Even though the rest of the stats kind of support that, you add to the fact that I don't think he's that flashy with the eye test. I've never been, like, blown away by the stuff, especially compared to other Dodgers pitchers. So he doesn't that, have to blow you away, you know, crazy breaking balls, all that. It's just, he's just a very solid, yes. like, good pitcher. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. But let's talk about a guy who actually has been blowing us away in this first run through the rotation. It's time for a little bit more overreaction here about another Cy Young contender, Jeffrey Springs. <laughs> What's going on with Jeffrey Springs here? Look, this guy is about to be another one of these Tampa Bay darlings that the stat people are going to fall in love with because I can already tell he's just, he's primed for that breakout. These Tampa guys, it takes them a year or two to get their footing in terms of this. And then they're going to eventually figure these, I don't want to call him like a career minor leaguer because that's not fair, especially for his age, but a guy who looked like a fringe MLB player a couple years ago. Now, all of a sudden, in his third season with Tampa, I feel like he could really be primed for that major breakout. Texas, Boston did not work out in any of those years, came up at 25. This is about, this feels like it's about time for him, if it's going to happen at all, I should say. I just want to know, like, what the hell are the Rays doing to these guys? Like, like how? Uh, how, LJ? Where do they come from? I, I think I think they might make them out under the stadium. Yeah, like you're right, like we like, talked about this a while ago. They just manufacture. They've got this pitching school under the stadium. That's where all the money goes, and it's like some rite of passage to be able to make it up into the major league roster. Like you have, to fight, you have, to, you have to fight your way out, out swim out the Ray, the uh, Ray Petting Tank. To no, it's just it's it's it's, uh, it's unreal what what he's been doing um, or did in that first start. The first yeah. time that it's it's almost like acting like his starts last year, 135 innings, two four six ERA. Like yes, again, he hasn't been going deep, but the fact that you take him six innings yesterday shows maybe they're ready to open him up a little bit. And last year, either way, very, very good. His bullpen work the year before, very, very good. It, it might be time for this guy, and I feel like you also can't talk about the Rays and talk about Jeffrey Springs without talking about Zach Eflin in this first time run through the rotation as well. Because here you're talking about a player, one over five innings, so that's what, one run over five? Um, the five strikeouts. This is their big, the, the guy that they paid, and honestly quite handsomely compared to what anyone else in the world would have been giving Zach Eflin. But I, I just feel like this is going to be the same track for him. We're probably going to see a solid year out of this guy and then gangbusters next year, and I'm not ready for that mentally. Well, LJ, it would be a disservice to this segment if we didn't talk 
about what is probably the best pitching performance that we've seen so far this year. And that is our guy, the reigning NL Cy Young, Sandy Alcantara, who threw a complete game shutout last night versus the previously undefeated Minnesota Twins. Only allows three hits and one walk. But LJ, most impressive, it was a one-hour and 57-minute game. Insane. Insane efficiency. That's that's one of the, I guess you'd call it a benefit. I, don't, I never know what. I never know what to understand. Are you hearing that too in the background? Yeah, I hear something going on in, in the background, LJ. Are you um, okay? Yeah, I'm fine. It's whoever's in the office next to me right now. Um, very loud. I've never actually heard people in there. But um, anyway, what was I saying? I've lost my whole Sandy. Sandy, yeah. I'm not sure whether we call it like a huge success to be under two hours, but like, you know, it just goes to show the efficiency. I guess it's the benefit. If you're looking for a shorter game, that's the benefit of low strikeout day because that's the one, if we're looking for places to nitpick, which I feel like once you've won the Cy Young, you have to nitpick the next year to be able to get back. It's part of the rite of passage. Hard to nitpick a complete game shutout, you know. <laughs> not the strikeouts way. haven't been there. Seven over 14 innings. That's that's not yeah, easy. Very true. Very true. He's going to get have to get that up or else he's got no shot at this. So, yeah, I'll tell you that right now. All right. Yeah, Brandon, no. Did you have anyone else to add or are we going to wrap up into our final segment here? I think we can wrap up into our final segment. Now up to bat. Let's talk about some Pittsburgh Pirates here, particularly Brian Reynolds and his contact track negotiations which have not been going well brandon r reynolds pittsburgh day is up in smoke lj it has not been going great um so essentially i'll give a little context for those that are not clear brian reynolds has been trying to negotiate an extension uh with the pirates uh so he is a free agent after the 2026 season because he he still gets arbitration for 2024 and 2025 however he's like you know i'm good enough you should buy out my arb years um and so that's what you know that's kind of where we were at Earlier in the winter, the Pirates offered something that was like 75 to $80 million over six years. And Brian Reynolds was like, oh, like I kind of wanted like 134 over eight years. So already a pretty big, you know, uh, difference in the in the asking prices from both sides. Uh And so then we got to this point where it was like, all right, we're going to call opening day kind of the deadline, but not really. But we're just going to say it's a deadline. I hate when they do this. It's just so like why they just set the arbitrary points for this makes no sense. But whatever. Um, So the two sides came to like an agreement on they said, all right, we'll do about one hundred six million dollars. Eight years, one hundred six million uh, that would include 
one of the eight years would be 2023. Uh, and Reynolds said, you know, let's backload the contract, uh, yada, yada, yada. And then it, it just, backloading that's entirely to serve the team. Right. Yeah. Reynolds trying to help the team out by doing this. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Reynolds was like, oh, yeah, like one thing I do want in the contract, though, is I want to be able to opt out after 2026. So what would be, um, you know, what would be his first uh, or sorry, yeah, what would be his free agent year? So the Pirates would only gain an extra year of control in the event that he opted out of that contract. Uh, if he was to sign it. Basically, we've got to the point now where the Pirates are unwilling to agree to a deal which has this 20, which has this opt out included in it. And this seems like this is the deal breaker for Brian Reynolds also, who seems very content to just get his arbitration for the next two years and then potentially either get traded or just or leave. So you know, we're getting kind of a stalemate here, and I don't really know, like, what else, you know, where where are they going to go from here, LJ? What well, is- we're, we're here to provide answers, so we're going to get past the situation into answers here, and the answer is Brian Reynolds isn't finishing this year with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Whoa, okay. It's, I don't, I, I don't see how, like, we're looking at a guy who everybody knew was good, I, you know, having now watched him in person actually kind of does slightly alter it. And it's not, I don't feel like it's a recency bias here or the fact that he's got four homers in the first five games of the season. But this guy was a stud last year at 26. He's just getting into his prime and probably going to continue to provide massive, massive amounts of value to this team going forward or a team going forward. I don't see a world where he's making under $10 million next year. He's already at 6.7 million on his first ARB year. These numbers are going to get out of control for Pittsburgh very, very quickly. They didn't, they don't realize this isn't about, Oh, let's try to find a cheap way to keep a star in this Pittsburgh market, especially seeing we finally have someone willing to work with us. But now you've just basically bit the hand that's feeding you. Like your one opportunity to keep a star in Pittsburgh these days is just up in smoke now because you weren't willing to at least ensure he was going to be here for another two, three years. That was all that we were looking for here was to ensure he's going to be here two or three more years. If he opts out at the end of this contract, you still had him for those two extra seasons at this point. I see Brian Reynolds' money inflating very, very quickly to the point, and I'm sure Pittsburgh is probably going to realize this by the end of the year, especially at the rate he's gone through these first couple of games. They are going to struggle to keep him past this year financially. They aren't going to be able to afford it. They're going to have to trade him by this trade deadline if he keeps up this pace and has an MVP caliber season. They're not going to be able to afford him next year. They could have easily. That's that's the point I'm trying to get across here, really, because I'm kind of a little bit scattered all of a sudden. But they could have easily afforded to keep him 
in town for at least a couple more years, which feels like a major win compared to losing him this year. All because they wanted, got a little greedy and wanted an extra year, couple of years on that. They didn't want to have this whole opt-out situation. They now lost him sooner than they ever needed to. It's needless. Absolutely needless. And for a player of his caliber, uh, it's it's pretty sad, especially that a Pirates organization whose payroll is only $75 million. I mean, it's it's pretty ridiculous. Your highest AAV contract is $8.7 million to Cabrian Hayes. Um, just This just proves why we need owners that are willing to spend money because the fact that they're willing to let this guy go, like, after – you know, debuts with the franchise has been has really done nothing but produce since he's got gotten up to the bigs. And one opt out deal is one opt out clause is what's holding all this back is is just sad. It's a shame. But Brandon, that's gonna wrap things up for today. Of course, we will be back with YouTube and Twitter live stream tomorrow we're looking forward to it 9 15 p.m eastern time come on in and join us and we'll have a great time just kind of we'll be able to vibe a little bit more than we can on these quick shows but brandon do you have any departing mark remarks no i don't uh yeah of course be sure to check us out on the live stream tomorrow night uh, there'll be quite a few games on at that time for us to watch and kind of live react to. And uh, super excited to sit down with uh, Kevin Wilson once again. All right. Well, that's going to wrap things up here on the Batting Order Beat. Don't forget to like, subscribe, follow on wherever you are consuming our content. And we'll see you tomorrow.